You're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Welcome back to the Full Circle Music Show. It's Chris Murphy, and I'm sitting right beside Seth Mosley. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's a busy week. Lots of good stuff going on over here at the studio. And I'm excited to take uh, just a few minutes out of our schedule to talk to one of our favorite people in the industry, Mr. Steve Ford. Uh, Steve has been a guy that I've known for a long time, was one of the first people that I met moving to Nashville in the music business. And we've talked to a lot of people on the creative side so far. We haven't yet talked to anybody on the label side. So you think of the guy that sits in a dark room with a suit in a corner office. (laughs) That's this guy. (laughs) Except for not. He actually sits in a what is a pretty awesome office. He's a general manager of a label called Centricity Music. Has been pretty massively successful in the past couple of years, uh, or really since they opened. Um, but he is a great leader and speaks to what they look for in a good producer, in a good artist, and in a good uh, team member at their label. So if you're wanting to get involved in the music industry, this is a great episode to listen to. I learned a ton, and I think you will too. You know, I uh, being a podcast junkie, it's nice to meet a fellow uh, podcast enthusiast as well. Uh, we had some great conversations uh, in the in the episode, but also talked a lot about our favorite podcast on and off the mic. Uh, but just a great guy. It was great to get to know him, and I really appreciate uh, Seth you uh, setting this up. Another great interview, and can't wait to listen to it. And you can check out his company at centricitymusic.com. C E N T R I. C-I-T-Y music.com. They have a lot of great artists that I think you'll dig. Hey, podcast listeners. Something's coming February 1st, 2016. Have you ever thought about a career in songwriting or music production? We have created a couple courses with you guys in mind. We've been getting a lot of feedback on people wanting to know more of how to become a songwriter, how to become a professional music producer or engineer. These courses were designed to answer some of those questions. Go to fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast and sign up there for more information. You were saying earlier uh, before we started rolling that you were a podcast guy. Oh, yeah. Um, Big podcast. So, and you've heard this podcast before. Yeah, I've, I've listened to the first three. Okay, so uh, can, can I uh, ask you to go out on a limb sure. and give us a grade so far? You know what? I'd give it a solid B plus. Ooh, I want them longer. That's good. That's that's my thing. Is I want I want to go into the you know background. I want to hear. Okay. You know, when you did Brown Bannisters, which what's funny because I start, I've worked a lot with Brown, but you didn't get past Amy Grant. Sure. Come on, this is a guy who worked with from everybody from from Third Day to Mercy Me to yeah. Whiteheart. Yeah. To, he's done everybody. It's like come on, there's stories there. Absolutely. I tell people I'm on the corporate side because of Brown Bannister. Really? Wow. Because of how he worked, I was I was an engineer in L.A. for for ten years, and he would come out and mix records with us. It was a little place called Mama Joe's, and I would see him on the phone going "Happy birthday, sweetie!" And later, knowing El, it was Ellie, yeah. missed his, her first walk and all of these other things. And when my daughter was born, wow, I was like, I can't do this. Sure, I, I can't. I've got. I need a life. Wow, and so I started praying and Peter York calls, you know, and so, you know, so it's because of him. So it was fun to hear some of his stories. I did a lot of records with Jack Puegg, Jack Joseph. And, and you were engineering at the time? Yeah, I was an engineer in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time that was really engineering. Oh my gosh. You know, you were cutting tape and (laughs) 
Yeah, I've I've cut a lot of two inch tape, quarter inch tape, yeah, half inch stuff that I hope to never do. <laughs> you don't have to. You do it. Yeah, you know, Jericho does it for you. <laughs> so. Well, have you ever? I don't even know if Jer- Jericho's ever cut tape. It's in, in yeah. school he in cut school, tape. Yeah, and then oh, he now never I did feel it again. Really old. <laughs> Is that kind of like when uh, you're in uh, biology class and you like not in any other time in your life will you need to dissect a frog, but you just have to do you it for the be. experience of it? Is that the, what it's become with cutting tape? I, I don't even know if you have to do it even that it's yeah. just it's sort of like this legend of like starting a fire with flint yeah sure you know yeah. it's sort of like yeah i used to cut tape you know i mean there's probably a resurgence i would imagine knowing the the process of what coffee has become and how artisan yeah it has and yeah. i think there's a big thing in maybe it's millennial generation or whatever it is but i think people are drawn back to slower older uh, more hands-on processes, it seems like, than just pushing a button or going through right. a drive-through. They want on some things, don't you think? On some things, like just give me the button. Yeah, that's give me the true. Filter on on Instagram. That is true. Yeah. That, that that's true. But then you got you know the whole wave of people are are uh, roasting their own coffee beans now, yeah. and then they're grinding them with a hand grinder, and then they're putting them in a. And I'm saying this because we have like three artists that we work with. Yeah that come in and they bring their whole coffee apparatus. And they measure how much coffee goes, uh, weigh it. Yeah. My son has a has a scale that weighs how much coffee goes. Oh, yeah, just... Yeah. I thought you were going to say some of the artists that you work with, they actually bring their own barista into yeah. the studio. Well, that, that, the, I'm sure that... The personal I'm, barista. I'm sure that will happen. Or That's kind happened. of a, 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 a prerequisite to be in a band. There, there has to be at least one barista True. in, in the band. So. There has to be one business guy in yeah. every band yeah. and one guy who can make great coffee. And then the guy who can actually play the yeah. instruments. Then, then, the, then the artist. Yeah. <laughs> and then the fourth guy on bass who just knows how to shape everybody's beards. Yeah. He's more of a, a grooming guy. Yeah. And sometimes there's a drummer. <laughs> you don't need a drummer. Got machines for that now, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you've just take us through a little bit of your journey. Oh, I mean, yeah. you 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 started in L.A. I was I've born raised in L.A. You know, dreamt read an article when I was fourteen years old about this guy named Sir George Martin, mm. and I was like, "What? You can do that for a living?" Who's George Martin for? Yeah, he produced these this the little kids. band called the Beatles. You know, probably they've never heard of most. Most twenty-year-olds haven't heard of them. So, mm-hmm. and then isn't it true that he did go on from there to write the uh, the Game of Thrones? Did he? I'm not a Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, that's R.R. R. Martin. Sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wrong. All right. Next strong, initial. Is, yeah, strong one. But I mean, I, you read about these guys. You read. It sort of like opened a door into a world that mm. you didn't know existed. And man, so eighteen years old or June out of high school, walked into recording studios and. Man, started from there. So you didn't you didn't wait to have some sort of a college thing to, to get internships. I was, and... My mom was like like Reed's parents, which was like that's a nice hobby. Sure, but let's yeah. let's make sure you have a, a backup plan, a plan B. And so I, I still went to school, still went to college, did all of that. Don't ask me my grade point average because I was going home at four o'clock in the morning, you know, waking up at eight to go to you know to crawl into my first class. Right, it's terrible. But man, I, yeah, my first job in the recording studio, I was making $500 a month from 6 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Living in L.A. Living in L.A. And yeah. that probably paid for a tenth of the rent? Maybe. Yeah. Because I, yeah. Or just the gas to get around. But I loved every second of it. Mm. Yeah. Come on. That's amazing. It was, And then from there, you know, you sort of work your way up. So I did that. Like I said earlier, I, my daughter was born and I was like, 
an engineer's life is a hard life in LA, especially. Those were the days when you'd pay fifteen hundred dollars a day block booking a studio. You know, you 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 book the studio and you're paying fifteen hundred bucks if you're there six hours or if you're eight, they're twenty four hours, uh-huh. and there a lot of them stayed twenty four hours. Yeah. You know, you just have. St- Next, 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 you know. And you've got to be there. You've got to be the first guy there. Yep. First guy there, last guy out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're sitting there winding cables at at six o'clock in the morning going, I just want to go home. Yeah. When when the bug caught you, Mm -hmm. from that point until the time that you walked into that first studio and and got a job, what skills were you harnessing or... Just, just reading Hungry. liner notes? Yeah, just reading liner Yeah, laying yeah. on the floor, reading, and going, there's one in North Hollywood, and I'd write it down on a piece of paper, because I grew up in, in the San Fernando Valley, and start looking for them. Hey, man, that's where Bill Schnee's studio is, or whatever the studio was, and start. Yeah, there's no, you, there wasn't really a whole lot you could do to prepare for. It's not like in high school, you go, wonder what class I could, I was, just, I was in there, all the choirs and all the music stuff. But sure. That didn't prepare you for it, because yeah. the first Probably the greatest skill for a studio engineer, especially starting one, is being attentive, being hungry, being prepared. Mm. And that depends on who you're working with. You know, when you work together with somebody so well, I'm sure you and your team, they know what you want in advance and plugging something in before you even have to ask. That's just working together. You know, I've told a lot of wannabe engineers who want to go to some of these very expensive schools, don't do it. Take that money live on it for two years, and go give, your, give yourself away for free for two years. Wow. You know, you'll learn more in that two years in the studio than you will however long you go to one of the expensive ones. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just doing it. It's just aligning a tape machine, which is once again, it's like starting fire with Flint again. Yeah. No one aligns tape, but you just, you learn by doing it. Absolutely. You know, you learn by making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I've recorded a lot of bad drum sounds. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just happens. And then you go, oh, if I do this, it's better. And then yeah. the thousandth time, the 10,000 hours, man, it takes sure. 10,000 hours. Again, I think that uh, it's not that the schooling is a necessarily a bad thing, but the way that you learn in life versus the way that you learn in a classroom yeah. is different because uh, for the most part, a classroom will deduct points for mistakes. Right. And if you're in the true, yeah, good, good point. I heard, um, actually going back to our love of podcasts here, I heard Tim Ferriss, uh, on his podcast, um, talking about the fact that he was going to go to, uh, was considering something like Princeton or Harvard or something to go get his MBA. And he thought instead of doing that, or maybe this was advice given to him by someone and he took it instead of taking that couple hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, whatever I needed uh, to go get my MBA, I'm going to invest that in myself, sim- very similar to what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use that to live on, so that way I can go and I can intern for yeah. that company that I would never yeah. be able to if if the money mattered that much. Right. Uh, because, you know, once you get out of school, it's like, oh, I've got to go do something with this. Yeah. Uh, but if, you don't, if you've got the, the money set aside to go get the MBA anyway... It goes a long way to really feeling free to not have to uh, pay that rent or pay right. that car payment. That you could really di- dive in. And most people never use their college education for what they used. You know, you got people. I had a meteorologist specialist, or she had a degree in meteorology for TV. She had her little, and she was my marketing assistant. You know, and mm-hmm. and you go, I want to see what you you spent four years doing versus what's what's your grade point average or what's your major i don't 
care about. So that stuff. to fast forward to today, you are the general manager of a a very successful record label. Yeah. When you go to hire somebody to your team, do you even say, "Hey, send in your resume, send in your where'd you go to college," or does that not even cross your mind? I, I do want to see that. Four years in college gives me the the impression that they follow through. Hmm. Okay. They finish. Okay. You know, you've said it before, you know, finishing is such a hard art in today's world. Mm. To have somebody who finished is very valuable. Mm. Do I care about your grade point average? No. Do I even care about your major? No. Because if you have the right work ethic and the right heart, I can train you to do other things. Sure. But I want to see how hard you're willing to work. So, so it does play a role to see that you know, a college degree still carries some weight, but maybe it doesn't carry the weight that people think it does in terms Correct. of having uh, the training. Because you kind of have to relearn it all when you get yeah. get out into the real world, right? Exactly. Most college students that I see haven't learned anything that's really good for use at a record level. Hmm. I've, my last five hires, five hires at, at Centricity, have all come from internships. Now, I've had a lot of bad interns. I've wanted to fire a couple of interns. That's pretty bad when you want to fire somebody <laughs> who works for free. What, de- what defines a good intern and what defines a bad intern? Yeah. Uh, a bad intern sits on Facebook until you tell them, give them something to do. And then they do exactly to the, just to the letter of the law of what you've asked them to do, hand it into you and get back on Facebook. A great intern does what you do and said, hey, and I thought about this. And what about this more? Mm. You give them, you give them to go to D, and they go to G. Mm. Then you give them to G, and they go to S. You know, those. I, I have a girl in my office that, you know, I asked her to do one thing, and then she said, "Oh, by the way, while I was thinking about it, I did these other three things that will help you out." Mm. That type of proactivity and thinking ahead is so incredibly valuable. Wow. Like having, having somebody patching in your compressor before you ask for it. They know where you're going so fast yeah. that they that they uh, that they're they're working ahead of you. They're, they're fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for all those out there, that's old school once again. Patch bays. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we have we're, we're sitting in our studio. <laughs> you have studio. a little patch bay. Over we there. have a small patch bay. We have two patch bays actually. So we're probably on the you're, you're the old school, school end of of things. <laughs> looks very cool though. It looks kind of a old science like a, fiction yeah, movie. Spaghetti. Yeah. Is what it looks it's like. like a telephone operator yeah. kind of thing. But I heard I heard a thing on man. We keep talking about podcasts. We're all like just podcasters. We're nerds, dude. I think that's what we do for a living is listen to podcasts. And um, I heard one last night that uh, they did a study of millennials and, you know, if you had a dream job, pick pick out of these choices, what would be your dream job? And uh, number one was the president. Number two was a senator. Number three was uh, a successful athlete. Number four was a like a foreign diplomat. Five was the CEO of uh, of Apple. Apple, Tim. And then the last choice was the personal assistant to a famous actor or athlete and 45 percent i think picked that one hands down they have no idea what that job looks like they don't but it also speaks to they don't want to take the responsibility yeah and because when when you when you're that person when you're the boss like they want to have a boss and and i don't know maybe you can speak to to a little bit of that but i feel like when you're talking about the internships um, the the ones who go above and beyond are the ones who are willing to take some responsibility to say, yeah. okay, here's an idea, uh, you know, 
just put it out there. Whereas uh, a lot of people, I mean, would you say there's a ratio of like how, how many interns would you t- would you have to get to get that one good one? Probably ten to fifteen. 10 to 15 to 1. To 1. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think it's what it is. Yeah. And I've heard you say, I think we've had the conversation, there's such a different work ethic in today's in today's uh, young adult. You know, and part of it's my fault. I'm, I'm a parent of young adults, you know. They've been given everything in their whole life. They haven't had to work for anything. You want that iPhone? Here's that iPhone. You want that? Here's that. The, the art and the craft of working of the labor of getting something is a lost art, I think. So would you, I mean, would you go back and do those things differently? Uh, for my kids, my kids had to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, so but you, yeah, are, you weren't saying you're in your experience, I'm, you don't, you weren't I'm saying giving not your kids personally, much more of, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, what we made our kids do, like, it's like when they wanted that hundred dollar American girl doll, is you buy half, we'll buy half. Yeah, there you and go. all of a sudden, they're, they're digging out rocks in the backyard at a dollar a bucket, yeah. you know, out of the garden. Because you, know, you, you, know, you want to give your kids what the value of work is. Mm. And that's that doll at the end. Yeah. You know, um, in our world, I, I sat with an intern once, and he was irritating everybody in the office. Mm. He's that guy who only asked questions because he wanted to tell you how much he knew. Mm. He, he wasn't... He wasn't if somebody, an intern needs to be quiet and listen, because hmm. there's a lot of information that flows around that they could, and then find the person they can go to and go, what did that mean when he said this? Or what did it mean? Or come to me. I've told everyone in my interns, feel free to come to me and say, what does it mean when you said that? You know, versus this guy would come to you and tell you everything he knew. So I was sitting him down one day and going, man, you're irritating everybody. No, everybody, the whole office wants to prove you wrong. You literally said that. I said that to him. And later on, and it's, yeah, I'm just, you know, I know I do that. You know, I'm just trying to figure out where I fit and try to find a job where I can make, you know, $100,000, $120,000 a year to start (laughs) in the music industry. I said, you're in the wrong industry, man. You are really. Go into finance. Go into finance and, yeah, or go be an architect somewhere, I guess, or something. But, um, he just, it was just about wanting to make as much money as his dad did wow. now. And, you know, that this generation wants to start where their parents have gotten to right mm. now. Wow. And that's a, I've seen it with artists. I've seen it with in, in interns. You don't yeah. want to drop in the lifestyle that they've become oh, accustomed no. to. Yeah. No. Yeah. A luxury once had becomes a necessity. Ooh. Ah, very nice. Ooh. That, very nice. that has, and I'm, I'm very guilty of that. Yeah. You know, you fly first class once you feel like a a swine by sitting in coach i've I've flown private jets twice in my whole life my whole career act both times sort of accidentally yeah and man once you do a private jet and you don't have to go through security you don't have to it's like oh i want that every time back yeah it's the story i say this all the time about artists the worst thing you can do for an artist is start them touring in a bus Mm. Because that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. And then what ha- you know what happens is they get on a bus and they go, this isn't a very nice bus. Yeah. You're like, there are people in vans, like when you were out in a van, to be in a bus, to be able to sleep horizontally would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah, exactly. And you just, <laughs> just because you started at this place, 
And then you get into private jets and yeah, yeah. Everybody should start. You know, their first tour needs to be in a Silverado truck. Yeah, you know, and the next next one into like a a a bigger graduate to a suburban. A suburban would be great, and then then a fifteen passenger old old church van yeah. that you bought for 5,000 bucks that, that, yeah. the, that the left side of the speakers don't work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you work your way to a sprinter van, then yeah. into a bus. Yeah. You know? Then you're grateful for everything that's better mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more about the process than it is about the, than anything yeah. getting there. So A wise manager once said his job is to make his artist's life better every year. Hmm. Just a little bit better. Hmm. I'm like, that's a good goal. That is. That's a good goal to have. Yeah. So. So. Bad, yeah. y- your your transition. We skipped. We skipped. We skipped about pretty fast. Years, yeah. <laughs> your transition from doing that six p.m. to three in the morning thing in L.A. Yeah. You had your your baby. Yep. My wife and I were praying at that point, going, "God, give us some sane clients or open another door." And I just worked probably two months before with Peter York. And 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 for those of for those out there listening, was this at a record label? You got no, your first. Uh, th- I was working with Peter in the studio, okay. and he called me up and said, "Babe, you interested in in A and R?" And I started at A and R in Sparrow, and what's that, eighty seven, eighty eight, right around there. And mm. you know, we're still in Chatsworth, California. Spent time out there with him, and yeah, so I've I've been at Sparrow. I've I've I moved from Sparrow to Star Song, then back to Sparrow when they. And I came up, started in A&R, worked my way into the marketing side, artist development side. And mm. so I've, I've done, you know, went from, yes, yeah, back to to Sparrow, went to Murr, as then I worked my way up to vice president of marketing at Murr, mm. was general manager at InPop, general manager at SRE, and now yeah. general manager at Centricity. Wow. Wow. So been a long journey if you'd asked me 25 or 30 years ago were you going to be general manager of record label i would have laughed in your face <laughs> like, because no. you didn't think it was attainable or because you didn't want to have that, that was job. not the path i was on gotcha i yeah. thought i was going to be set i thought i was gonna be producing records sure. and engineering records and you know jack Pueg is still mixing great great records out there and i thought i was going to follow that path and you know, God had something very different in mind, hmm. which makes me laugh. Going, I was talking to somebody this morning, going, I can't believe I've been doing this this long. You know, when, when you're now an industry veteran, ugh, you know, <laughs> that means you've been around a long time. But I don't, I don't think looking back, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, 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 you don't strike me as one of those people that's looking back and feeling like you're working in the corporate side of the industry because you never made it on the creative no, side. No, you don't strike me as that at I all. I made that decision for my family. Yeah. Yeah, what's funny is I've learned more about engineering and more about mixing and more about mastering being on the corporate side of what we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to do what we're doing. I learned so much about that. And for the first year or so, I was mad at God going, why did I just spend nine, ten years in studios, in dark rooms, you know, working long hours if if this is where you wanted me, but realize every day of my life... In the last 27 years in the corporate side, I've used information I learned in the studio. Hmm. You know, sometimes we can't ask God why until you're 20 years down and went, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the path he puts us on. It's like, and P- he brings people in and out of your life. I, I remember a girl over at, at Sparrow that was, she was an accounting just, that was her thing. She loved accounting. And God put me with her to learn 
that whole budgeting, that whole, wow. it was only for like four months. And then we were separated again. Yeah. But once again, she changed my perspective and my, and my life for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. So you don't know these people that come in and out of your life for a short period of how they're going to impact you. Yeah. No, that's... So, but yeah, I've been, I've been, I've sort of worked my way. I was one of these strange guys. Everybody wants to be an A and R. I started an A and R and left to go to marketing, and then got back into it as as I moved back up into the. Mm. But everybody wants to be an A and R guy. Yeah, hang out in studios and sure. and have dinner with artists. You know? Right, which is not what an A and R guy does. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, it's the perception out there. Just yeah, like you're exactly. saying, the that's artist is going to be private jets and yeah, yeah. Um, and for and for honestly, just if 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 somebody's out there, can you break down what what exactly is A and R? What what is sure. that? What is that job? A and R we lovingly call it airports and restaurants, okay. which is where they do most of those. No, no, it's artists and repertoire. It's you know basically it's per- looking for artists, finding people that have a a seedling of something. Sometimes you don't know what it is. You know, we've, we've, we've all got our standards of what we feel like will lead to success. But finding that, nurturing it, grooming it, taking time, it's sort of, it's sort of the mustard seed put into the ground, pat around, water it, and hopefully something really great grows out mm-hmm. of it. Sometimes the plants don't live. Sometimes they, you have to give them up. But it's the, it is basically the music is made by the A&R guy. Mm. You know, I, and like we have, I think, one of the best in the industry at Centricity. Mm. When he's done, when the music's done, he hands the baton over to me mm. and I go everywhere from there. Mm. But it's his job to make sure we have hits, it's to, we have songs that work for live or work for on the radio or, you know, an artist that's got a uniqueness to him that fits differently than everything else in the marketplace. And sometimes it's just plain old dumb luck. Mm. You know, we've, we've all got those where like, well, we didn't... We thought this person had everything they needed, we needed for success, and it didn't work. And this one over here was that seedling, and it's just growing like crazy. Yeah, sometimes you you don't know, no. or more, probably more often than not, I would think. How many how many songs have you worked on? Went man, that's the hit. I Honest, have, honestly, I have a memory of I will eat my shoe if this is not. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe I, I believe I need you. You owe me a shoe eaten. <laughs> I, I, I'm wearing Nikes right now. Yeah. I have a feeling that this material is not organic. <laughs> I was gonna say whatever you choose, make sure it's biodegradable. Yeah. I, I was gonna send you a shoe after one particular song. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> we've I, all I, got them, dude. We oh yeah, all. totally. I, I I think more often than not, and it's honestly becoming a theme on this show is. We're all just kind of winging it. We're all just guessing. Yeah. So my question to that is, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of responsibility placed on the shoulders of an A&R person. Yeah. They're the one who's finding and nurturing talent and ultimately, you know, overseeing what songs make it on records. Um, I think a lot of the people listening out out on the in our in our podcast audience. We have a lot of producers and writers and people outside of the music industry, but then there's also probably some people who are just wanting to get in on the music business side right. mm-hmm. and people who maybe want to be in music marketing or be in music management or uh, maybe do what you're doing some days, run, run a record label. You've said what you look for in interns. What, what qualifies a person to be an A&R person? Wow. Interesting. Um, 
an A and R person is it's you should interview. There's there's a few A and R guys you should interview. Um, a great A and R person is able to to inspire an artist beyond the, what they've ever thought they could do. A great A and R person knows how to get a good song to a great song. Mm. We're no longer in a society that good is good enough. Mm. You know, every, it has to be great. Yeah. You know, a great A and R guy can go. You know what? There's seedlings. Or there's there's moments in here that are really great, but you're missing the mark in these two or three places. And then working, coming in and sitting side by side with a producer like you, and making sure that I think I'm a big movie buff, and and an A and R guy sort of like an executive producer on a movie, where you put the team together, and then sort of let the team go make the music yeah. you know so it's the right producer for the right songs for the right artists and then let them shine of where they go mm-hmm. you know it's very much putting putting the the pieces together you know they're not usually playing the music they're not they're not they don't have to be musicians they've got to have really good song sense mm. you know and and i think one of the greatest skills an anr guy has to know is it's not about them mm. they've got to know their audience know what they're making for because all of us have a tendency to gravitate towards music that's on the fringe. Because we listen to so much stuff that all of the stuff in the middle starts mucking up. Sure. There's yeah. big muck in the middle. So you know what I like? I like this thing way over here or way over there where a normal consumer listens to 10 records a year. The middle is the sweet spot for them. Mm-hmm. So an A&R guy that understands who he's trying to, trying to uh, record for is very important. Yeah. Excuse me. No, that's that's good. <coughs> and you said that they have to have a great song sense. Mm-hmm. That is even potentially a sticky situation because mm-hmm. what qualifies one or what what why does one person's song sense better than the others? Is it does that determined by track record, <laughs> or is that determined by and and if you've never done A and R before, how yeah. do you how do you prove that? Hey, I know a hit when I hear one. You know what I. Our our history of Anarch, you know, John Mays is a twenty five years. Somebody took a took a chance on him twenty seven years ago and said, "You're a great musician on the road. Let me bring you in here." Part of his relationship, you know, can they sit and hang with an artist? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you, you've been in these meetings where it's like, can you move an artist from A to Z while making the artist think it's their move? <laughs> you know as producers the same skill set of can you can you get a, an artist to to bend without knowing that they're bending mm. you know or being able to move without all the artists out there just had like a I know they just heart convulsion <laughs> yeah. yeah and all the and all the producers like yeah uh, <laughs> but that's part of it of like how do you get a song that because you don't want to tell an artist, you know, this song sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, you just want to say, let's work on the chorus. The chorus isn't paying off hard enough. Let's, let's make it lift better. Let's make it shine. You know, whatever it may be, moving them away from, I love this, this is my baby, it's beautiful, to let's keep working on this song. So it starts, it sounds like um, it maybe starts with who they are as a person. Are they a good hang? Are they mm-hmm. a servant? Yep. And then the music kind of just follows and that Dude. taste follows yeah you know our young a and guy over there he he went through our radio department so he was listening to radio hits radio hits radio hits and part of it is I, there's a marketing guy named roy williams i went and saw i went to a, a 
a uh, seminar with him, and he said he has a friend that works at a general market record label, and he's the guy they go to to pick all the singles. Hmm. It's like, how did you learn this? Hmm. And the guy basically said, since I was five years old, every week I'd get my allowance, and I would go buy the number one song in America. Hmm. And so for his whole life, he poured into himself hits. Hmm. This is what a hit sounds like. This wow. is what a hit sounds like. This is what a hit sounds like. You know, and so that's he, that's pretty uh, that's pretty good wisdom right there. Yeah. yeah. And so at a certain point, you go, you've got to be able to, you got to know our music. You got to listen to our music. You got to know what a hit sounds like. You know, I've I've heard a lot of kids come through going, I hate listening to Christian radio. Then why are you in Christian music? Hmm. How many people in country music go? Eh, I'm in country music, but I hate country music. Get out. Yeah, sure. You're not going to succeed. <laughs> but they almost wear it as a banner mm-hmm. that I hate Christian radio in our marketplace. We have an open concept office. I, I'll try to listen to two hours of Christian radio every day mm-hmm. in my office. And if I'm listening to it, everybody in my office is listening to it too. Mm-hmm. More, more for this is what a hit sounds like. This is what right. radio sounds like. If you're trying to meet a need at radio and you don't know what they're playing, how can you meet the need? Mm-hmm. You know, so I digress, sorry. No, that's, but that's, I, that's gold. <clears throat> that's all gold. You know, a great, I think you nailed it in your earlier um, podcast. You've said this is a servant industry. Yeah. It really is. And in my life, um, it took me a while to figure out what my calling was. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't an artist, you know, but God, what does that mean? And I was walking through Exodus with my kids when they were very young and hit Exodus 17 where God says to Moses, you know, they're out of Israel, or they're out of Egypt heading towards the promised land and they hit the Amalekites. God calls Moses up to the hilltop, arms up in the air, he wins, arms down, they lose. But what I never caught to me until I was reading it, Moses took two people along with him, Aaron and Hur. And I love to say I am the Hur in in the Moses' lives. Mm. It's my job. What, what her was up there to do is to hold Moses' arms up. Mm. That's all he did. When wow. Moses was weak, when Moses needed help, I held, the, her held his hands up. Mm. That's my calling. Be a servant. Be there to hold your hands up. No one knows, some people know her, or Aaron. Uh, Aaron, yeah, you know Moses' little brother. No one knows who her is. Mm-hmm. If you're okay standing holding someone's arms up and no one recognizes you you are created to be in the music industry Mm. because we don't you're not in it to be you're not in to be the rock stars we're in the back of the room with our arms folded looking at the person on stage going yeah Mm -hmm. i was there to hold their arms up yeah gosh so that's wise that's amazing one of my favorite movies is that thing you do i don't know if i yeah if you've seen that (laughs) i'm I'm the guy that goes (laughs) You look great in black. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone told you that? You look great. Uh, but yet, one of my one of my favorite characters uh, in the movie, and they're filled with them. Um, anybody out there that hasn't seen it, it's Please, a go great see movie. Yeah. Uh, but there's Horace, who's basically the A and R guy that sees them at like yeah. a, in the camper? a sock hop. Yeah, in the, <laughs> in yeah. the camper. Yeah, he lives in a camper, uh, <laughs> and he's essentially the A and R guy. But um, he sees him uh, at a performance at like an Italian restaurant or yep. something. And comes and buys her album, and then gets them to to sign a little deal. And he said, and then at the end, when they get signed to a, a major label, yeah. and they're going out to play these state fairs, uh, Horace leaves, and uh, the the main character drummer of the uh, 
of the of the band uh, says we don't want you to leave and he goes my bird dogging's done yeah you know i i'm i've done what i'm supposed to do yeah. and then move on to the next thing and so he wasn't meant to ride that out the whole movie he's there for a specific piece to yep. move it from a to c he's yeah. the he's the b part of it and the the, the her of, yeah. of that story so to speak a lot you know nowadays you'd call them just like production deals mm. you know you, you, you start working with an unknown artist that has a little bit of talent. You start developing them, and then you, go to, you start shopping them to record labels. Sure. Then you go, my job here is done. They then take the baton and now try to make it a national uh, artist. Sure. You know, so and, and you miss, if you get two out of ten, three out of ten, you're in great shape. You're, you're a Hall of Fame baseball player if you hit three out of ten. I was going to say, yeah. You know? And you're a, Hall of Fame, you're a Hall of Fame A&R guy if three out of your ten are hit artists wow you know you always have it's it's a it's a cycle you have the the young artists going up you have the artists at their peak and then you have some that are on their way down and you've got to keep that circle going because that any artist that's been at the top is going to be past its peak and slowly work its way down and you've got to have the new artists coming up behind to grow into Wow. So it's a continual cycle of, of in the music industry. The circle of life and music would be that. Sure. I had a minister uh, mentor, uh, uh, Scott Lindsay, if you're listening, I'm about to talk about you. Uh, but he always <laughs> talked about that, that life in the ministry or, or in, in, in a career is kind of like looking at life uh, or the people that you interact. is like you're watching a parade go by. Yeah. There are things that are right in front of you. There are things that you just saw, and there are things yeah. that are coming down. And to yeah. really appreciate what is happening in the parade, you have to absorb it all. Right. And so there, there's a little bit of grabbing from each of those in order to get the full experience of it all. And the bigger some of those artists, those, what's right in front of you, the bigger those artists are right in front of you, sometimes you don't have time to look behind and, and develop what's behind. And what happens is with a lot of these record labels, and I've been at these, where man they've got the big and they slowly start slipping mm. the a's slarlet slowly start getting past their prime and they haven't developed anything behind them and then you're in trouble because you've got this machine you've got to feed and you haven't built you haven't created for the future mm. it's wow. only for the present sure and so you know every a and r guy wants to sign but you know at some of these big labels the big artists the a's are so big that's all they're paying attention to. Absolutely. And we've all seen it. We've all seen artists that have, that you go, man, they're amazing, but they got lost in the shuffle. Right. You know, and that's the sadness. Wow. We forget we're playing with people's lives. Yeah. You know, especially on a record label side, they're dreams. Yeah. Man, I, I, I signed this band at a label and they were 18 years old when I signed them and 21 years old when I had to drop them. So their dreams had come true and shattered by the time they were 21. Hmm. And you're like, man, that's just, it's just hard when you start thinking about that stuff. That's true. Yeah. And if you think about it, that there are some people that are fortunate enough to have a, a full career in the music industry. And there's some people that have that yeah. three-year window. Yeah. Like, kind of like a professional um, a sports guy or, or you know those things. There's a window. And then once you pass it, it's like, yeah, but the guy's only 24, mm -hmm. or the band's only 21. What are they going to do yeah. for the – what's what's coming up for them? You know what is, I think is the catalyst of those people leaving, of burning out, is balance. Mm. You guys have said it. I can walk through a record label at 8 o'clock at night and tell you 
which which employees will be gone in a year. Oh wow. Because they have nothing to put back into themselves. Sure. The music industry is a take industry. Mm. It just sque- continues squeezing. It wants more and more and more. If you have one, they want five. If we have five, we want ten. If we have ten, we want twenty. There's never enough. My poor record, my poor radio team goes, "Hey, we got number one," and I'm going, "Great! How do we keep it at number one for another week?" It's never enough. Sure. And so you continue squeezing out. This industry does. If you don't have a ministry. If you don't have a relationship, if you don't have friends that give back to you, that don't care what you do for mm-hmm. a living, and basically go, yeah, 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 you do music. How are you? Right. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, if there's not nursing students at your college that you go to that, that are your friends, you're going you're gonna to burn out because mm. there's nothing giving back. There's no one pouring into you. You know, sooner or later, the candle ends. There's no more fuel, and it just burns out. Yeah. You know, so uh-huh. I try to keep my staff saying, I want you to go to concerts and date people and, and go home at, at six o'clock or six, have a life, you know, because if you don't have a life, you have nothing to give back when you come back tomorrow. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's really good. Well, you sound like a, a great person to work for. So <laughs> where can I apply? I've <laughs> tell that to the few people I fired in my life. <laughs> There's, you know, we all have people who don't like us. You know, if everybody likes you, you're not doing your job right. Mm. You know, I hate to say it because sooner or later there's going to be artists that you have to hurt because you drop them. Yeah. You know, and and it hurts us. I mean, take my word for it. We have wept over artists that we've had to drop before Mm -hmm. that we love these people. They're our children and it's just wrong place, wrong people, wrong time. Sure. Don't know what it is. Sure. You know, and so, but... I'm lucky enough to have an amazing team of people that work with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade one of them away. Yeah. We, we, yeah. It's a year end, so we're all little emotionally attached and you know, <laughs> yeah, warm, yeah. warm fuzzies. But No, I can vouch for yeah. that, though. I, I've spent a lot of time at Central Sitting with yeah. the staff, and, and you've done a great job to create really what you know, feels like a family culture there. So. And culture is a very important issue for us for, as a yeah. record label. We are – you come into we, – we, our office is a house. You know, we've, we've even designed it in such a way that there's seating areas almost in every place you go. So if you're not sitting at a desk, you're sitting around a, on a couch. Mm. Our marketing meetings are in chairs and couches. Mm. You know, uh, you go into publishing and he's got four chairs sitting around a table. You know, A&R, it's a leather, leather chairs, and a leather couch. It's very much more relational. You know, sure. There's other places that you go to that you need little buttons to get past, and there's a guy out front that will tackle you if you, you know, you walk right into our offices and welcome. Mm-hmm. It's very different, and we do that very intentionally. Yeah. And the fact that you were saying that the office in and of itself is open concept, so that yeah. you know if you've got your uh, music going, everybody hears everybody it because hears you're it. in the midst of it with everybody. That's- so I've listened to a lot of bad pop music because <laughs> the other girl that, that really controls the music in the office loves like all of just the really glossy Justin Bieber's and sure. sorry, I call, just called out an artist, but <laughs> you know just just we, we make fun of her because she she keeps me on. I hear stuff from her going, yeah. what is that? That's really good. Yeah, sure. When she told me it was Justin Bieber, I'm like, really? Hey, if Justin Bieber's listening, I'm a huge fan of, of the new stuff. <laughs> that is an official kiss-up. That is a kiss-up. Well, I, I have heard that he does listen to the show, so mm, uh, he does. apologies. Yeah. And, and I apologize. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I also learned later in life that there's a difference between not good 
and not for me. Mm. Ooh. Just, Justin Bieber is not for me. Gosh, that's, yeah. We're, we all just grab for our pens writing it down. <laughs> so, I'm taking notes and <laughs> learning so much from this conversation. Yeah, it's like I'm not a big horror movie fan. Not for me. I can't tell you if it's good or bad. Sure, sure. But, you know, my my life, certain things I love. And Star Wars for you? Star Wars for me. Star Trek? Not so much. I'm a Star Wars born Star Trek. Okay. You know, so my kids are very much into the old yeah. Star Wars, and our Star Trek. They can yeah. quote you tribbled episodes. And, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? That is so wise. I wanted to quickly mention that. I know that uh, we need to let you get on with your day, but uh, it is so wise to say not good versus not for me. Yeah. Because oftentimes, again, your path that you have uh, gone down in the music industry was not one that you could have foretold. No. And so you have had to work with people or artists or maybe even industries or, oh. or styles of music that maybe for your personal taste are not necessarily, Correct. Uh, you, you know, you could really be in love with it or you could be there because it was uh, something that you felt it was important to the world, but you didn't necessarily like sure. the Justin Bieber or whatever was going on. Yeah. But you're not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, it's not for me. Right. And so sometimes you have to do the not for me, even though you have to get up and you're go try- to work. You're, Yeah, you're trying to market that record. Absolutely. You're trying to sell a lot of those records. You know, what's... We're privileged enough that we get to know the artist a little bit better. Mm. You know, so what you try to do is to find the thing you do love about that artist. Oh. I don't love their music, but I sure love that he's a reader yeah. or that she's a that she loves movies. You know, something that find a connection that can drive that even when you listen to it and you go, I don't like this isn't what is this good? Well, sure. I'm guessing that by the time you go through all the process to sign an artist, you've already if you if you didn't have something you loved about them, yeah. you wouldn't probably sign them. Correct. We even talk about does the artist fit our culture? Mm. Because we are such a relationship driven, yeah. You know, relationship being one of our core values within our company. If we don't want to have them over our house for dinner, mm-hmm. then why are we signing them? Maybe we're not the right place for them. Yeah. And that doesn't make them bad. Sure. Or us bad. It just means we're not. You know, you can't marry everybody you date, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. You know, sooner or later, you've just got to pick the ones or twos. Twos, that's... Well, yeah. depending on where you're... I mean... <laughs> Monogamy is overrated. <laughs> so 2000. <000. laughs> yeah. so. Well, thanks so much oh, for joining man. us on the it's show today. Um, to, to Just to leave the audience with, because it's, it's a question that I always think about working in the music business. Um where where do you feel like we're at today? I mean, there's definitely a lot of doom and gloom out there. There's sure. a lot of uh, music streaming is killing the industry. How are labels making money? How are artists supposed to make money? How are songwriters mm-hmm. supposed to make money? Um, what is the hope in the music business today that keeps you on the path of doing what you're doing? Um, there's a spiritual side of that and a, and a financial side to that. The spiritual side is we get notes sent to us artists do and going this song changed my life wow. i had to pull over because i was crying in my car because it it connected at such a deep level mm. you know we're in an industry that that really we're distinguished by our lyrical content and that lyrical content can cut to the heart like nothing else mm. that feeds us that drives us if you're not if you're not moved to tears when you get some of these these letters you should probably think about another industry mm-hmm. um, on the corporate side on the business side you know as long as people are still listening to music 
and wanting to hear music, and there will be people like us needed. Mm. You know, there'll always be artists who can make music, but don't know how to get out of their bedroom with mm. that music. Don't know how do I get it to people? How do I get them to listen to it? What do I mean? And there's so many opportunities in t- today's world to do. You know, you can make records for fifteen hundred dollars, where you couldn't get my the old studio I worked at for a day for that. Wow, yeah. You know, um, there's lots of opportunities, but as long as we need to move from amateur to professional for pro- producers and engineers. We need the Reed Shippens of the world. We need the the Seth Mosleys. We need you know those Pete Brown Bannisters producers to make great records that are world class. Most people can't do that in their bedroom. I mean, listen to the first song you ever wrote or the first record you ever produced compared to what you're doing now. Yeah. You learn, you grow. You're now a professional. There is money to be made. You know, there is money to be made in streaming services. You know, we, when, we, when we break out our digital to physical. Now, if you were a physical retailer, I'd be worried. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people aren't buying physical anymore. We're seeing those numbers continually drop. Where streaming has hit um, the business side more than anything else is on the physical sales and on the digital albums. Those, both of those are continuing to drop in our numbers. You know, but streaming whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, YouTube, are all growing in numbers. But because you make so much less, the numbers have to be so much more. Sure. You know, what is it, 1,300 streams for one album, you know, equals one album for, uh, for RIAA. Wow. You know, so it's like, that's a lot of, a lot of streams sure. to make up for it. So. Gosh. Wow, but well, it, as long as as long as they're making music, they need people to promote the music and help make it make it better. So you're saying it's a good time to be in music? Mm, no, <laughs> yes, 1999 no. was a really good time to be in music. I mean, and the hard part is we're sort of measuring on the boom years. You right. know? Yeah. It's it, those those years when you know most most boom years of the, in the music industry all related to a new technology. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the heights of the Walkman. Helped, you know, when you when you can make a portable 1960s or 50s, that thing you do, transistor radios changed how people consumed music. Oh, yeah. They took it with them. CDs, digital, now streaming has changed how we're we're consuming music. It's all disruptive. It, it's been yeah, very much disruptive yeah. technology. Well, uh, it's fascinating conversation and again wish we could do it all day I could sit here all day yeah absolutely it goes by way too fast it does yeah well thanks so much thanks, for joining man. us I appreciate it need to have you again sometime make me sound good mm-hmm. and uh, Jericho which, labels how do, how do we find find your label what, what's centricitymusic.com is where, okay. where, our, where we're at go check it out hey we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll join us again soon on the Full Circle Music Show the why of the music is Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcasts.